Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. We're glad to have you with us, those of you joining at home as well. And we'd love to have a record of your attendance today, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or someone that likes to worship here on a regular basis. We ask you grab that pew pad at the end of the pew, complete the information therein, and then pass that to those who are seated around you. Uh, if you came in through the fellowship hall today, you saw uh, all the stuff that we carried downstairs yesterday. Uh, so that's going to be here for a while till we have our yard sale. But please don't pick through it. I mean, I know there's some treasured items in there, but it's very work. It's really nice. If you want, if you see something you want, take it home. But don't take it back upstairs. Whatever you do, leave it down here. Okay. Uh, you've probably seen a sign in the fellowship hall also that the building committee is trying to raise money uh, for the church. And so the sign says we have a goal of 15000 but it doesn't tell you what all we need. Uh, the biggest thing that we have facing us is this back entrance to the church and the retaining wall over on the sidewalk. We got one bid so far and it's $34,000. So we're trying to get fifteen dollars for that. There's also some issues with um, some roofing um, and some other issues with the church. So that's what we're looking at. We're going to try to find some other ways to get that money as well. But that's, it's not just for nothing. It's, uh, it's actually for some very specific things that we're just trying to, to store up some money to help with the upkeep of the building. Uh, you could talk to Tim or you could talk to Jack about more of those details as well. Uh, the blessing bags are in need of some donations. So we're looking specifically for shampoo, lotion, soap, deodorant, toothpaste, toothbrushes, snacks, bottled water, gallon-sized Ziploc bags, all that's going to be taken to Christ's Kitchen. So the next time you're at the grocery, if you can pick up some of those items, uh, that would be great. Um, we also need some things for our welcome basket donations, and you can talk to um, Donna about that. Uh, she's organizing some of those things. But microwave popcorn, snack bars, tea bags, gift cards to Coal River, um, things like that. Okay? Um, there's going to be a yard sale in St. Albans. Many of you probably know this on May 21st. Most of the stuff that's there, uh, we're going to give to the Fixum Clinic so that they can raise money for um, animals. And so you can also bring your donations here to the church. If you would like to, to make a donation uh, to the Fixum Clinic, you can do that. Um, Friday, no later than Friday, May 20th. Uh, and please don't do it before. And oh, wait a minute. Nope. Price your items before you bring them to the church, okay? And Connie's hot dogs will be here in the parking lot that day, and she's going to sell all kinds of goodies as well. All of that information is also in the bulletin. Uh, it's also going to be in the Presby record, but I just wanted to say it from the pulpit. So now you've had it three different ways, so don't ever tell me we didn't tell you, okay? Because there you go. I just went through a litany of things uh, that we're doing here at the church. We're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us today. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Please join me in the call to worship that comes to us today from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Come, let us worship the risen Lord. Our opening hymn this morning is hymn number 238, Thine is the Glory. peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Our call to confession this morning is from the second Helvetic Confession 5094. This is true repentance, sincerely turning to God and all the good and earnestly turning away from the devil and all the evil. Please pray with me the prayer of confession. God of empty tombs and empty people, when we hesitate to speak of your hope, Forgive us and give us voice. When we find it difficult to love another, forgive us and give us new compassion. When we want to stand with the high and mighty, forgive us and put us next to the poor and oppressed. 
When we stay locked behind our fears and doubts, forgive us and send us out to share your grace. When we cannot believe your word of new life, forgive us and fill us with your joy. Now take a moment for silent confession of sin. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I have set your sins as far away as the east is from the west. Though your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming is that he has separated us from our sin, and our old life is gone, and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven, and be at peace, and pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. May be seated. Our first reading today is from Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Hear God's holy word. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. seated. At this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. Good morning, ladies. How are you today? Good. Okay. I have a story to tell you. Okay. When I was little, like you all. I was the fastest kid in the world. They don't believe me. Do you believe me? You believe, of course, you don't believe me? Oh, come on now. I was so fast. 
I would take off running and it would look like I was standing still. That's how fast I was going. <laughs> My feet would move and I wasn't, I w- it was amazing. I blew people away. But now that I'm older, I don't do it anymore. Can you believe that? Yes, that part's believable. Okay, all right. So now how, those of you that, you, now you too believe me, but you don't. What could I do to prove to you that I was the fastest child in the world? Ask my parents. They may have not seen it either. The trophy that I run. Okay, all right. That's a good idea. I do have, I do have a medal from where I ran a half marathon at Disney World. Or at least the medal says that I ran a half marathon at Disney World. But there's no proof of that race either. Okay, but I did that. I really did. Is there any other way that I could prove to you that I was super fast? You, you believe that already? You're such a sweet child. Yes. Well, what if I were to show you right now how fast I was? What if we were to go outside and race? Do you think I could beat you all? No, you don't think so. No. You think I could beat you? Okay, I might be able to beat you. Okay. You're not a fast runner. Okay. Well, then you have very pretty shoes on. Not really running shoes, though, huh? You have running shoes on. You do have good, excellent support socks you have on there. With the wings, that will probably make you faster today. Yes, I think you're right. So there's a story in the Bible that's kind of like this. Okay, it's not about running really, but it's about when Jesus rose from the dead. And he showed up, the disciples were all kind of scared, and they had locked themselves in a room. And Jesus just suddenly appeared in the room. And they were like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. And they said, praise be to God. But one of the disciples wasn't there. His name was Thomas. And then Thomas, Jesus left and he went away. And then Thomas came back and all the disciples said, what do you think they said? They said, we saw Jesus. Can you believe it? And Thomas said, I am not going to believe it until I can stick my finger in his wounds for where he hung on the cross. And a little bit of time went by. Right? And then guess what happened? Jesus showed up again, and Thomas was there this time. And guess what Thomas did? He stuck his finger in the wounds on Jesus' hands. And he was like, oh my goodness, now that I see it, I can believe it. Now, how many of us have been able to see Jesus? I haven't seen Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? But do we believe in Jesus? Okay, so Jesus says at the end of this little story, he says, blessed are you, Thomas, for you were able to see with your own eyes and touch with your own hands. Blessed more are the people who will believe but don't get to see. And so our promise from Jesus is, even though we don't get to see, yes, ma'am. Yes, that's, did you put it in the ground? Um, well, not yet, because, um, because we didn't have time because, because, um, because um, we had to 
that sleepovers are very important. You'll get time to plant that seed later. Yes. Okay. I'm going to end it there. We're just, I can't top that. That's just a great way to end the children's sermon. So let's just pray. How about that? Do we want to pray? Okay, let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you. And we're so glad that you bless us even though we can't see you. Help us in our faith be so strong that others are blessed because of us. We love you. Amen. Okay, you can go sit down. Real fast, run real fast. Good job. This is the time where I should tell you what my 40 speed was in high school, but I'll just skip over that. It was good. John chapter 20. So good that I never played football after that. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Hear God's holy word. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Judeans, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as either has sent me, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not doubt, but, do, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have, seen, have not seen and yet have come to believe. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. <coughs> holy and gracious God, we thank you for your story. We thank you, God, for the mysterious appearance that you gave and provided to the disciples, which began the Christian journey of faith, that opened salvation to all the Gentiles. We're thankful, Lord, for this celebration of your grace. Please, Lord, now help us understand this story somewhat better this day. All these things we say in the name of your Son. Amen. When I was uh, younger, and to this day really still, uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, was to go camping. Most of the time it was either with Boy Scouts or with my family, but as I got older uh, and was able to drive, uh, we would drive all over the state of West Virginia and, and just camp. We would just get a wild hair and go camping. 
And one time, uh, it was the summer of 1995, and it was after my freshman year at Marshall, uh, my buddy Todd and I decided to go camping. And he had just gotten a tent for his birthday, um, and so we were like, man, let's go try out this tent. <clears throat> and we were like, okay, great. The problem for us was uh, his girlfriend at the time had previously borrowed the tent and said that all the pieces were there. And so we just took it on faith that she was correct. And so we packed up my truck, we bought our food, we packed the cooler, bought gas for the boat, and drove to Summersville. Uh, we had very little money, but we, we had enough to, to pay the, the uh, amount to, to camp there. It was a really nice tent. It was a four-man tent. It was a dome tent. And we start putting it together. And <clears throat> the, the boat was already in the water. That was the first thing we did was put the boat in the water. And then we realized we only had one tent pole. Uh, and so here it was, it was starting to get dark on us, and we were like, now what in the world are we going to do? So we have to drive back over to where our boat was, get one of the oars out of the boat, bring that oar back over, and we use the oar to prop up the tent. And it was, uh, it was, a, good, it was a good trip, you know, it worked. Uh, it didn't rain on us much. We're thankful that the oar didn't run its way through the tent. Uh, they broke up shortly thereafter, so... That even became a better part of the story. But uh, it, was, it was comical as people would walk by and see this crazy shaped tent and say, what? where did you guys get this tent? I'm like, oh, this is the newest thing. It's got an awning for us to stand, you know, whatever the silly things we said. But we learned a lesson that day. Don't ever trust that person when she says she put the tent poles back together. We don't, I don't even think we ever found that tent pole, to be completely honest with you. And it was that story... Uh, that I was reminded of as I was approaching the text this week. Uh, not nearly as comical uh, as, as what we experienced when we were camping, but the disciples have a very similar dilemma. Do we believe what, happens, uh, what happened to Jesus? So John's gospel is, is a little different. Those of you that are here last Sunday, you know, Luke's first kind of recalling of the resurrection was simply an empty tomb and we didn't really have evidence of Jesus, just that his body was gone. In John's gospel, it's, it's handled a little bit differently, a whole lot differently, actually. So this, is, this text that we read today is immediately following when the women had gotten up early and gone to the grave, and the, the, the men uh, were found huddled in safety. So the women weren't afraid of these Judean attackers. Um, the women went ahead and, and went to see the tomb, and they saw um, the first Easter scene for them, that, that Jesus had been risen. The men are very, very fearful, right? And there's maybe a little bit of reason for that to happen. In the first century, women really couldn't give testimony. What they would say uh, necessarily didn't hold up in court. But the men, if they were uh, captured, they would have to give testimony and either lie like Peter did and say, I wasn't with Jesus, or they could face the same punishment that Jesus was gonna fa- had faced. So they locked themselves in this room. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a hard thing for us to grasp the concept of, but this was a major division within the followers of Jesus. And so Peter had some influence over the group, and Peter had been the first one to lie. And so his influence on, on the group was likely what caused him to have them locked in this room. What's interesting is, uh, if you read a little further, in John's gospel, none of the disciples were lost, per se. So Judas 
is not a bad guy in John's gospel. Judas is in fact not even present uh, in any of these kind of diatribes that take place. John 18 has Jesus arrested and, and John writes there that Jesus fulfills the prophecy that none of his disciples were ever lost. So why are they so scared? They still don't actually believe what Jesus had said. And so suddenly Jesus appears behind a locked door. And it's the disciples minus Thomas. And so this is one of those times that you almost can feel sorry for Thomas. He's the guy, maybe he, he was the one that drew the short straw and he had to go get the bread for the day. Who knows why he wasn't there. But he wasn't. And so the rest of the disciples get to see Jesus. He breathes upon them and, and tells them that they are now the ones that have this ability to forgive sins or to withhold sins, for, or withhold forgiveness. And so they're excited. They're super excited. Jesus has just appeared to them. And as soon as Thomas gets back to the group, I mean, can you imagine putting yourself in that position that everybody else has seen Jesus and you didn't? For whatever reason, you're separated from the group already, and now you've, you've been the only one to not get to see Jesus. How would you feel? You'd feel alone or empty, maybe even mad. All of these feelings would bubble up inside you. And so it does, it, it makes a little bit of sense to me that he would say, unless I get to see the scars, I'm not going to believe. And there is this crazy conversation that probably John doesn't record. It goes on in my head at least that, well, you know, we couldn't come get you because if we left, then they might kill us. So that's why we stayed here with Jesus. Or maybe, maybe John says, who's going to lead us now if, if, if Jesus is gone like he came, but he also disappeared, what do we do now? Like he's told us this thing about, about who's going to be able to forgive sins. But maybe, maybe James and I should take the lead because, you know, Peter lied out there and said that he didn't know. Like there's all kinds of disruptions that are likely taking place. But Thomas has forever been called doubting Thomas for one reason. He didn't believe the rest of the disciples. It's not that he didn't believe Jesus. He simply wasn't buying this story that the disciples told and really, I think it's almost a dry run for what the disciples are going to do in the book of Acts. Jesus was pretty well known, and it was a pretty well known idea that he had been crucified. So if we're going to go out now and say that Jesus is risen, and we're going to have to try to convince people to be believers in Jesus because we think he's the Messiah that's been promised from all these you know, Old Testament scriptures, then we're going to have to get our story straight pretty quickly, right? So for Thomas, that's probably what a lot of people would have said when these disciples tried to convince them that Jesus has resurrected. Unless I see the scars in his hands. Now, the weird thing here is it says about eight days later. Now, have you remembered what I told you about when the Bible says eight days later? It's okay. I'm the only dork that has to remember this. So after eight days, whenever that's written in the Bible, that means it's a new creation, okay? Because there was creation in seven days, 
And so for the authors of the, the books of the Bible, especially the New Testament books of the Bible, when it says eight days later, it means it's a brand new creation. So there's something symbolic taking place that's different than just Jesus' presence at the original creation, which is what we believe, right? But this is a new creation. So Jesus has appeared to the disciples, and about eight days later, so a brand new creation cycle takes place. What happens again? Jesus appears. And Jesus appears, and this time Thomas happens to be there. And Thomas gets to see and suddenly believe. The Greek word for what Thomas does to Jesus' side is bale. And it means that he thrust his hand into the open wound of Jesus' side. Now we didn't talk a great deal about the crucifixion this year in Lent. But if we remember from what the Bible tells us, at the very end of Jesus' crucifixion, in order to make sure that Jesus was in fact dead, the, the, the Jewish people wanted to celebrate Passover, it was going to make everything unclean. If there were Jews still hanging, they wanted to kill these people quickly so that they could become uh, ritually pure to go celebrate Passover. So they convinced the Romans to go ahead and make sure everybody was dead. So when they walked to Jesus, the spear went in pretty much diagonally through his rib cage, and it pierced the sack around his heart because the Bible records that both blood and water came out. So Jesus was already dead when that takes place. Water had, fulfill, had filled up, I think it's the pericardium that goes around the heart. And so when that came out, it was blood and water that gushed out. That's going to be a pretty big opening. Okay? And so what we learn about Jesus, at least resurrected Jesus, it hadn't healed all the way. And so in many ways, what Thomas does is the same thing that that Roman soldier had done. He thrust his hand into Jesus' side. Symbolically, killing Jesus. In order for Thomas to truly believe, he had to touch inside of Jesus' chest cavity to prove that he was alive. That's the detail that's there. Okay? It's not just, hey, look, I've got holes in my wrists. I can believe now. No. I, the same thing that the soldier does, Jesus does. Thomas does to Jesus. Okay? And when he does that, <clears throat> he says, my Lord and my God. Now, this was likely Greek transliterated from Latin because that's how you would address a Roman emperor. So for Thomas... His being able to touch inside of Jesus' chest makes him now an emperor. My Lord and my God. It's a statement of faith, but it's also a proclamation of Jesus' leadership. And Jesus is okay with this, evidently. Maybe it tickled. I don't know. I don't want anybody doing that to me. If you all suddenly decide to crucify me, please, if I'm resurrected, don't let anybody stick their hand inside my, car, my cavity after I'm dead. Please, just, I don't want that to happen. I don't think that it would feel good. But for Jesus, he says, if this is what it takes, then thrust your arm inside my chest. Blessed are you because you got to touch and see and experience. Jesus has done all kinds of amazing things. But in my estimation, this is, this is the weirdest. This is the weirdest miracle in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. 
because we have this living, breathing, spiritual Jesus that can suddenly appear into a room behind locked doors. And he can allow somebody to, to experience his resurrected body in a new and unique way. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird, right? Like that's not something that we would ever want somebody to do to one of our beloved who was deceased. That's not, how do you, how do we, how do we have so much faith in this lock that's on the door and thinking that a group of Roman soldiers or a group of the police who protect the temple couldn't bust down that lock. Yet Thomas says, well, I have to actually touch Jesus to have faith in that. What do we, where do we put our faith? None of us have seen a resurrected Jesus. We're just the recipients of people that have told a story for 2,000 years now. We are people who put our faith in seatbelts. We're people who put our faith in four-way stop signs. My pastor, when I was in Philadelphia, used to say, that is the, that is the most amount of faith any human could ever have is a stop sign, especially a four-way stop sign. Think about that. Rarely, I mean, sometimes there's a police officer sitting by, right? But rarely, you have to share faith in three other cars and your ability to take off first. So you either have a whole lot of faith in the engine of your vehicle, the braking system of their vehicles, or their love for humanity, right? That is the most faith we can probably ever experience, is how are we all going to approach this four-way stop sign? And we have, all of us have a belief system in things that still could be broken. Yesterday, I got to watch Sarah have a whole lot of faith when she was doing the electrical work in the fellowship hall. <laughs> she made sure in her mind that all of the switches were turned off and breakers were thrown, but she's playing with the wires, right? That takes a lot of faith, because if you've ever been around one that's still hot, you only do that once, then you double check everything several times after that. How many of you that were ever on a sports team or have ever been a fan of a sports team have watched, like, I love watching Notre Dame take the field, right? What do, what do all the players do? Have you ever seen that take place? They touch, they reach up and they touch. They're, that's their faith. That's their, that's their experience of either luck or faith or hope. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Ohio State does the same thing. The Steelers do it. Many locker rooms have those things. Something that's a good luck charm for us to touch it before we hit the field, right? You'll see pitchers when they are coming off the field, they'll jump over the chalk line. They don't want to touch the chalk because they believe that somehow makes them unlucky. Makes no rational sense to me whatsoever, but whatever floats your boat, like if that's what you have to do, right? And, and yet, do we ever question our own faith experience and something that we'll likely never ever see? The three-day-old resurrected Jesus. We'll never, we will never see the three-day-old resurrected Jesus. It's not going to happen. We'll experience Jesus in heaven. We may be alive if Jesus returns. But it's not going to be the same kind of thing that happened three days after the resurrection. And so in my estimation, Thomas has kind of gotten a bad rap. He's doubting Thomas, but I think he's the most rational thinker of all the disciples. He watched the man die. Until I can touch him, I'm not going to believe. 
I told you last week that you all are all faith for me. Your faith is what helps me. <clears throat> but you know what another thing for us all is when we approach the Lord's table together. If you've picked up at all on what I say when I pray after we take communion, I say this is a sweet foretaste of the kingdom come. What we believe happens within the taking of communion is <clears throat> that we believe mysteriously that we're taking communion with everyone who has ever taken communion, whoever will take communion. We believe we are somehow drawn spiritually into the presence of God at the Lord's table. I don't know how you explain it other than saying it's faith. But each time that we approach that, each time we accept this sacrament, this grace from God, we're praying kind of a weird prayer together. There's a prayer that I think is the best prayer in the entire Bible. It comes to us in Mark's Gospel. It's not from John, and I'm going outside the text for this Sunday, but I'm still going to share this awesome prayer. There's a man who has a sick child, and he says, will you, will you heal my child? And Jesus says to him, if you believe, you can be healed. And the man's response is, I believe help my unbelief. And that's the prayer that I pray when I take communion. I believe. Help my unbelief. Be with me. Guide me and forgive me of my sins. And I think if we kind of approach this story and say, I would have been the Thomas. I, I know for a fact. I love to argue. I love to have a conversation with somebody and let us put all of our ideas out there and kind of try to come to a conclusion together. I love that. I, I, I get so much energy from it. I would have also said, I've not seen it. I'm not going to believe it. Maybe that's why I'm so defensive of Thomas. I don't know. But that's who I relate to quite a bit. But when I take communion, when we take communion as a group of people, when we're able to experience this coming together at the Lord's table, worshiping together in church, it's a way of us all saying together, we believe help our unbelief. Our eyes will never see what our mouths proclaim. We have, the, we have the same job that the original disciples have in saying that we need to share this story of a resurrected Jesus, but we never have the proof that it actually took place. If we could admit that going in, that it's a faith-based journey, that we're somehow recipients of millions and millions and millions of people being willing to die for their belief that it was actually accurate, then I think it gives us some sense of hope moving forward. This is a tough sermon to preach. This is a tough one because we have to hit things that are sensitive items. It's like Sarah touching those wires. You have to be sensitive with this stuff. But I want us to feel safe enough to say, we believe, help our unbelief. And I don't want it to be a flimsy fix like the oar in the tent, right? That's not, that's not a long-term fix to camping in the future, right? Necessity was the mother invention right then. But that's not how I could go camping with that tent in years to come. Our faith has to be so much more solid than that. 
And I believe the way that that happens is because we're called to be constantly in communion with each other, to be in the Word, to be at worship, and to take the sacraments. So I'd like for us to do all that together. For this to be our locked room where we experience Jesus together. But I also want us to unlock our doors of faith and security and be able to go out and not be afraid. And I'd like for us to do that together with the help of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. It's now time for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us in this life. Lord, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. All this we say in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let's now bind our hearts and minds together as we lift our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy God, we come to you this first experience of the risen Christ appearing to the disciples, blessing them and charging them to go into the world to make a difference and tell a story. Tell a story with belief, with proof, with love, with grace. We're thankful, Lord, to be the recipients of those original storytellers. We're thankful, God, that this message has been brought down throughout the centuries. We thank you, Lord, for your grace with us as we often or perhaps sometimes struggle with our own faith. We believe, help our unbelief. Give us the strength and courage to live each day as if we have experienced your pierced side and your pierced hands. Allow us, Lord, to love the earth and the world and all that are in it in the same manner in which you loved us all. We're thankful, God, that we can come together rather freely today and worship in this space. We recognize that not all of our sisters and brothers around the globe have that same opportunity. We're mindful specifically today, God, of the Orthodox Church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and all Orthodox churches who are gathering to celebrate their first Sunday of Easter. We pray, God, specifically for the Christians who are displaced throughout Europe. We're, we're mindful, Lord, of their war-torn country. We pray for peace. We pray for grace. The same Sunday that the Russian Orthodox Church celebrates Easter and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church celebrates Easter, we know that arms will be drawn against each other. We pray for soldiers on both sides. We pray, God, for the leaders of those warring nations to seek peaceful solutions. We pray for grace. We don't always understand, God, why you ask us to do things like praying for our enemies, but we do so because of our faith. Give us strength, Lord, where we do not see, and give us hope where we do not understand. We pray, Lord, for the leaders of our nation, for our president, the leaders in Congress, our state and local leaders. Lord, give them your voice. Allow them to hear the stillness of your small voice. Allow them to govern over us freely, with grace. We pray, God, for our own forgiveness of sins. We pray, God, that you would be gracious with us as we try to forgive others. Because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. And in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. 
We thank you so much for sending your son to earth, the way that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our final hymn, hymn number 234. Come, ye faithful, raise the string.
we had a conversation in Bible study uh, this spring, and I, I said in the Bible study that I used to be, uh, used to really enjoy skiing. And uh, some people doubted, but that's okay. Uh, but Gordon said, well, you look like you might have used to been athletic, so maybe you did used to ski. Uh, and then at some point in time, somebody said, you know, we're going to just have to see it to believe it, right? So I'm willing to invite all of you to Snowshoe Mountain this Tuesday. I'm going to put on a skiing demonstration uh, coming down the mountain without any snow, right? That's the best way for me to do it nowadays. We all have experiences where we hear a tall tale, where we, we, we just hear a story that sometimes is just too good to be true. Uh, maybe we call those fish tales. Maybe, I don't know what we call them, but we hear we hear these stories, and you're like, I, I, "Okay, all right." I hope that for all of us, the story of Jesus' resurrection is one where we're constantly drawn into saying, "Man, I wish I could have seen it, so that my faith was even stronger." Rather than, I'll have to see it to believe it. We live in a world where people will say, I have to see it to believe it. But if our faith is so certain, and if our love is so sincere, they will recognize the resurrection within all of us. And that's my hope for us every Sunday, that as we leave this place, we are filled with the knowledge of the risen Christ. And we, we approach the world, a doubting world, the doubting Thomas, but our sincerity and our love for each other and our love for Christ gives us strength to hopefully lead them through these doors one day. So with that, let us leave this place with all of the love and all of the hope and all of the grace that we can muster. Amen? Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May it be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday. Jesus risen, is that what it said? Yeah. That's right. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have a good Sunday, okay? Baseball announcers called the Padres and Fathers. That's one of the fun.